All right, let's turn to our scripture that can be found on the back of the bulletin. Also, it will be on your screen. This is James 3, 1 through 12. And it's all about taming the tongue. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are, who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The word of the Lord. It was June 28, 1996, when the space shuttle Challenger lifted off from Cape Canaveral, Florida. It was a routine mission by all accounts. In fact, the Challenger had already completed nine missions before it and had spent over 62 days in space. The Space Shuttle Challenger was the most complex machine ever created, with over 2.5 million parts, including almost 230 miles of wire and more than 27,000 insulating tiles and thermal blankets. It was a typical launch, aside from one fact, that it was the coldest launch ever for a space shuttle. That proved to be its demise. For 73 seconds into the launch, At 46,000 feet, the Space Shuttle Challenger exploded. Afterwards, an extensive study was done, and they discovered that the disaster was caused by the failure of two rubber O-ring seals that sealed the joint between the two lower segments of the right-hand solid rocket booster. The severe cold reduced the resiliency of the rings and opened a path for hot exhaust gas to escape from inside the booster. The result was a cataclysmic explosion killing all seven, grounding the shuttle program for the next three years. It was only two parts out of 2.5 million parts, yet it resulted in disaster. Sometimes the littlest things have the biggest consequences. So it is, James says, with the tongue. Though it's one of the tiniest parts of our body, it has exponential power. The words that issue forth from it can bring life and can bring death, altering the destiny 
of those around us. Who of us has not been affected by the speech of another? Who has spoken a word into our life, whether callously or maliciously, that has stuck with us, that has maybe even changed the trajectory of our life? James wants to shine a spotlight on the tongue and on our speech and to show that rather than being peripheral, it's central to our Christianity. That if we want to be mature Christians, we must pay attention to the tongue. For the words that we speak bring life or they bring death. The question is, what are you bringing? We're going to look at three different points that James brings up in this passage. Number one, there is no greater evidence for our need of grace than our speech. Number two, our speech has life-shaping and life-altering power. And finally, number three, we must choose how we use our speech. Because the words we speak bring life or they bring death. The question is, what are you bringing? Well, let's look at our first point. There is no greater need, uh, uh, greater evidence of our need for, uh, for grace than our speech. James begins, strangely, with this statement, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. He speaks then, continuing on, about the tongue. So why does he bring up teachers right in the first verse? It's because teachers use their tongue. They use speech. Because they use speech to influence, they have an inordinate amount of power. And because they have this power and influence to affect so many people, they will be judged more strictly. It's a sober thought for anyone who wants to become a teacher or a preacher. James continues, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Notice what James is saying, that we all stumble in our use of the tongue. James is even including himself, the apostle, as one who stumbles. All of us stumble in our use of the tongue. In fact, it says, if you would not stumble, you would be a perfect man, able to bridle your whole body. But alas, no one can do that. Because James continues on and gives a picture of the power, of the destructive power of the tongue. Look at how he describes it in verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Look at these characteristics. He calls the tongue a fire. We all know that a small fire can destroy an entire forest. All it takes is an uncontrolled spark. And so it is with the tongue. A sharp word, a loose sentence, a callous aside that can cause a conflagration that cannot be extinguished. Words can consume and destroy a life, for the tongue is a fire. The tongue is also a world of unrighteousness. Words create worlds. Think about that. The things that we have said 
to those around us, have shaped our relationships, have shaped the world in which we live. Words create worlds, and we see that this tongue wants to create a world of unrighteousness, a world that is counter to the desires of God. The tongue stains the whole body. I don't know if you've ever gotten all gussied up and dressed up in your suit and tie and then you've gotten just a small stain on your tie. It ruins the entire outfit, doesn't it? You have to change. So it is with the tongue. We have all of these other great graces, but the tongue stains everything. It, it ruins everything. The tongue is a restless evil, James says. He personifies it. It's like a creature that roams wild, lashing out at other people, defending and terrorizing and attacking. Our tongue doesn't sound that different from Satan, who is described as a roaring lion, going ar prowling around looking for someone to devour. It's a deadly poison, James says. We all know how poison enters the bloodstream, whether it's a, a poisonous snake that bites us in one place, but that small poison spreads throughout the bloodstream to the entire body. And here we see the source of the power of the danger of the tongue, that it is set on fire by hell itself. Put another way, demonic power does not look like we think it does. It's not about spinning heads and crazy voices. It's about everyday speech that kills. That's what Satan does. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he kills. And one of the ways that he kills is through our speech. James finishes with verse 8, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. What James is saying is there's not a person in this room or within my, uh, uh, the sound of my voice who does not struggle with his tongue. We've all uttered hasty, unthoughtful words, selfishness in our words. We've all exaggerated and manipulated using flattery or using anger to get what we want. We've told little white lies and whoppers. We've used impure words. We've used our words to induce guilt and to shame, to criticize, to build us up and to tear other people down. We can tame every animal on the face of the planet, but we cannot tame the tongue. So what does this mean? It means we need grace. We need grace from God to rescue us from the power of the tongue, from the consequences of what we've caused in other people's lives, from what we're causing in our own life. We need someone to rescue us from our speech. I don't know if you know the story of Helen Keller, the woman who was uh, blind and deaf. She didn't start out that way, but she contracted some sort of virus. And at age 19, uh, 19 months, she was plunged into the world of darkness and silence. From that time on, she was pretty much incorrigible. She could not understand and she could not be made uh, to under understand others and couldn't be understood and she would become frustrated and she would lash out 
with guttural sounds and acts of violence. None was able to reach her until Anne Sullivan at age seven. Anne tried to teach her words by putting an object in her hand and with the other hand signing or spelling out the word in her hand, but Keller would become frustrated and simply take the object and dash it against the wall. It was not until Sullivan put Keller's hand underneath the water and signed the word water that Keller was able to understand that objects had names. And there was a breakthrough. This unmanageable child, Helen Keller, submitted to the touch of Ann Sullivan and began to put her hand repeatedly in Sullivan's hand and let her lead her about. That's what we need to do. We need to recognize that we don't have the ability or the way to tame our tongue. We need to be mastered by another. We wield our mouths like weapons, damaging all of those around, not using it for what it's supposed to do, which is to bring life. We need someone to master us. And so what we must do is shut our mouth before God. Before we can shut our mouth before others, we must shut our mouth before God. Romans 3.19 says this, Whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. You see, you do not begin to be a Christian until your mouth is shut, until it's stopped, and you are speechless and have nothing to say. We come into this world proud and arrogant, standing before God, communicating our worth to Him. But in order to become a Christian, we must become humble. We must have our self-sufficient and proud heart broken of our native arrogance. And so you are not a Christian until you have been made speechless. Remember how it was that you came to Christ. Was it with your arguments? Was it with you postulating about why you deserved his grace and mercy? No, it was in quietness, maybe in tears. You see, a true convert will have a Jacob-like limp in his speech as well as in his walk. So we must give up on ourselves. We must put away our pride. And we must look to Christ and his grace because no one can tame his or her tongue. This leads me to my second point, that the tongue has life-shaping and life-altering power. James says in verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and driven by strong winds, but they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. He's describing these powerful vessels, yet are controlled by such a small thing. Nor if anyone stood near a horse, just that quivering wall of muscle, and yet a simple metal piece in its mouth can cause it to, start, to go left or to go right, to stop or to start. 
A ship is a massive thing. They had massive ships back in biblical times as well. Paul, if you remember, in his journey to Rome was on a ship with over 276 different people. And yet the small rudder that is hanging on the back of the ship turned left, turned right, steers that entire vessel. What James is saying is that small movements have great consequences. In the same way, small words have great power. Think of your own life and the culmination of words that have been spoken to you, that have steered you. Your parents who have inadvertently or intentionally spoken words of life or death into you, that have steered you. Your community, your coaches, your teachers, your friends who have spoken words that have inevitably altered the course of your life. See, that's the thing about words. Once they're spoken, you can't take them back, can you? It's like they're being written on our hearts. And so there has been a stream of words in each one of your lives that have been steering you. We are the product of the words spoken into our lives long ago. Indeed, words that are still being spoken are steering us. That's why James says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force to set ablaze by such a small fire. God has designed words to be powerful. Whoever came up with that nursery rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, was exactly wrong. It's the sticks and stones that heal, but the words that continue to wound long after they've been spoken. God designed words to be powerful. Proverbs 15.4 says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. The words that we speak either refresh and bring life, or they break and destroy. And God brought life-giving words into the world, did he not? He brought Jesus Christ, whose words were life itself. Remember when Jesus said to his disciples, are you going to stay with me or are you going to leave? And Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus himself said, the spirit gives life and the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Jesus' words are the words that when spoken into our hearts can bring life where there is darkness. And God has given each one of us, if you are a Christian, the task to bring life into the world. Did Jesus not say that all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me? Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. See, when we speak the words of Christ to other people, we speak the words of life. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. 
You and I, brothers and sisters, were designed to bring the words of life to a dead world. But we were also designed to bring words of life to one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Our lives are like building blocks, and each one of us are builders, helping to build each other's lives, to build us up, to become who we were meant to be. We all play that critical role in each other's lives. God has intentions for our words, but Satan has intentions for our words as well. He wants to tear down people through one another. He was called the father of lies. And when we gossip, when we use words destructively, we tear apart people. Words that are spoken maliciously can tear apart families and churches and denominations. Everywhere we go, we hear the power of harmful speech. Turn on the news tonight if you want to see it. Listen to talk radio. Listen to how countries speak to one another. All this hatred and vitriol, it comes from words that are spoken like weapons. I guess the point I'm trying to make, my friends, is that you have never spoken a neutral word. There's no such thing. The words that you speak bring life or they bring death. You must choose. If you want good relationships, you must bring good words. And if you want bad relationships, you will bring bad words. But each one of us must recognize the power of the tongue. It is both a gift and a responsibility. I remember the time when I walked into my friend's house as an 18-year-old for a Young Life Bible study. I remember it because it was the first time I heard the gospel. It only took two times going back to that house when I knew that what I was hearing was true. And because of the words of the gospel, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ and the trajectory of my life forever was altered. It altered the school that I chose. It altered the woman that I dated and married. It has altered the decisions that I have made on how to raise my children. It's altered the job that I choose, the way that I live my life. All because I walked into the house of a friend at age 18. Because words are powerful. Each one of us has been given a gift, the gift of speech. So how are you using it? Every day you're interacting with people around you. Are you building up or are you tearing down? Look around you right now. You can pour life into people with a kind word, but there are no neutral words. And each one of us 
has been given the greatest message of all, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus first entrusted it to 12 people, and they went out and shared the word and changed the world. We are a part of that legacy. And so we too must go and spread the words of life to a world in darkness. But I want to talk more than just simply the words that we're spreading. I want to talk about who are you listening to. In this world, people are talking at you from everywhere. The chatter is endless when you get in your car, when you go to the mall, when you head home. But amidst all of those voices, there is one that continues to speak words of life. It's Jesus Christ. Only he has the power to tell us who we are. And so if we want to hear the words of life and be grounded in them, we must go to him daily, continuously, as we go to his word, as we seek him out in prayer. We must let Christ, either through his word or through each other, speak life into us. Because we cannot give to the world what we don't have. What we have to give is Christ. For the words we speak bring life or they bring death. What are you bringing? This brings me to my final point. We must choose how we use our words. With it we bless our Lord, James says. With our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, verse 9. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? What James is saying is that we are divided people. Nature all around us is consistent. It does what God made it to do. But we are not. And the grand inconsistency, the great paradox of our lives is that we can sit here and sing worship songs and then go wreak havoc throughout the week in our world. If we want our speech to change, we have to recognize that the main problem is not our speech. It always comes back to the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. In our hearts, there is still a war between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of self. And we need help. The good news, my friends, is that God wants to rescue us from the kingdom of self. And he is committed to making us those whose speech brings heaven and not hell on earth. So much so that he's willing to die and take that judgment for every careless word that we have spoken. And the greatest part of this is that he's not done with your mouth or mine. He is at work to clean it up. See, inside of us, this kingdom of self lives, but the kingdom of God lives as well. And he has given us his Holy Spirit. No man can tame the tongue but Jesus can. 
We are helpless, but he is not. Jesus said, take heart. In this world, you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Jesus gives us the power through the Holy Spirit to bring words of life into the world. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We must day by day, moment by moment, submit to Christ. There are always three people in any conversation. There's me and the person I'm speaking to and the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ who lives in me. And the fruit of the Spirit, if I am led by the Spirit, as we said earlier, is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So submit to Christ as you came to Him. Walk in humility, not in arrogance, but in simple trust. Give God your speech and your tongue moment by moment. Pray for your conversations before you have them. Ask God for His grace and His mercy and His power. Because if you want to become an instrument of His peace and ask Him that, He will most assuredly answer that prayer. For the words we speak in the end bring life or they bring death. The question is, what are you bringing? Let's pray. Father, if we're honest, we are helpless with our speech and our tongue. The kingdom of self, Lord, within us is strong. But you came and overcame the grave. And you are in us and we are in you. And by your Holy Spirit, we can tame the tongue. Lord, and we can bring words of life that a world so desperately needs. God, we want to be life-giving people. And so, God, give us humility. Take away our arrogance. Help us to look to you with our mouths shut, that you may give us a new word to speak, a new song to sing, a new place to stand, as we represent you as your ambassadors in this world. We lift up all these things and we pray them sincerely in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.